Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 25 of the Fantasy Law Guy podcast. I'm Nick Garisco at Fantasy Law Guy on Instagram. The 2020 NFL season kicks off today. Let's make some bold predictions. Hakeem dropped the ball! Hakeem dropped the ball! He did what? Playoffs? What are talking about? Playoffs? Who the hell is Mel Kiper? They are who we thought they were. We let him off the hook. Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. What the hell's going on out here? Cannot play with him. Cannot win with him. Cannot coach with him. Can't do it. Can't wait. You like that? You like that? Just keep attriculating the ball down the field, boy. I saw, son. I saw. Hello? You play to win the game. Hardly. Sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. In yesterday's episode, I broke down the season opener, the matchup between the Chiefs and the Texans from a fantasy football perspective, and then I made some bold predictions for all of the AFC teams. I also accidentally called yesterday's show episode 25, and I listed it that way in the title as well. That was a mistake. Yesterday's episode was actually episode 24 of this podcast, and it was not, in fact, episode 25. Psych! That's the wrong number. How does that make you feel? So my apologies for the misstating and the mislabeling. 24 is also my favorite number, too, by the way, of all the numbers. And I skipped it. You really hate to see it. But nevertheless, I had my highest stakes league draft a few days ago. And I'll talk about that for a moment in case you are interested in how that played out. It's a super competitive fantasy league, definitely my most competitive league, and it's mixed with local experts and total sports junkies, high-stakes guys, and the buy-in is over $1,000. And it's a 12-team league, full PPR with three and five-point bonuses respectively for 100 and 200-yard rushing and receiving games and also 300 and 400-yard passing games. It's also a triple flex league. So there's we start one quarterback, two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, three flexes, a kicker, and a defense. And I drew the sixth pick out of 12 and opened up with Derrick Henry. And in round two, I took George Kittle. All of the round two running backs that, I, that I'd consider, Josh Jacobs, Joe Mixon, Miles Sanders, Kenyon Drake, Nick Chubb, were all gone. And both Kittle and Kelsey were available. And I took my boy, George Kittle, and then I was presented with a very interesting scenario in round three. I think it was like pick 30-ish overall. And Lamar Jackson was off the board, but Patrick Mahomes was available. And I was caught a little off guard here, despite it being a one-quarterback league and despite there being three flexes in the starting lineup, which I knew was people were going to favor running backs and receivers very heavily because of that format. And also despite it being a very sharp Experts like league, so I knew the quarterbacks were going to go late. I was still pretty surprised to see Pat Mahomes available at pick 30 or 31 or whatever it was. And I had already taken George Kittle, and I knew that if I took Mahomes, that was likely really going to set me back at running back, especially in a league where you start three flexes. And David Johnson was gone, but James Conner was still there. So I honestly was torn between Mahomes and James Conner. Mahomes I have higher on my board, but Connor I obviously love this year and have drafted a majority of my teams already. But I went with the safer pick, albeit at a much less valuable position, especially in this league. I just couldn't pass up opening 
with Derrick Henry, George Kittle, and Pat Mahomes. And I like the star power, and I had three stars at different positions. But again, because I went both quarterback and tight end early in a triple flex league, it really kind of set me behind or set me back on running backs and wide receivers. And once it got to round four, the running backs were all dead. You know, even Antonio Gibson was gone, you know, right before me actually in round four. And a lot of the receivers that I like too, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, that usually I can land in round four were gone. And I was a little bit regretting the Kittle pick because Mark Andrews was available. But it really for me came down to Calvin Ridley in round four or Marquise Hollywood Brown. And I know Ridley is the safer option, is ranked higher by everybody. But I went with the upside in Hollywood Brown because I just didn't think Hollywood would make it back to me in this draft. These are very sharp people that I was drafting with. And I knew that somebody was going to reach for the guys that I liked, Will Fuller and Marquise Brown. And I knew that if I wanted them, it was probably going to have to be me. So I took Marquise Brown over Calvin Ridley in round four and DJ Chark. And I realized that it was a huge risk, but I'm hoping that he is kind of a blow-up player. And I just didn't want to take the risk that he was not going to make it back to me. And I think in these types of leagues, you need to reach for the players you really want uh, because you know these guys aren't really following ADP like in normal home or or semi-competitive or friendly leagues. So I got Marquise Brown in round four, and Will Fuller was actually available in round five, and he was one of the top receivers rated on the board, obviously, so I took him there. I was kind of surprised he fell to me. So I got my guys, Hollywood Brown and Will Fuller, and then I managed to actually snag Tyler Boyd in round six. And before I knew it, it was already round seven, and I didn't have a second running back yet, which is very rare for me. And I really wanted... J.K. Dobbins or Zach Moss to fall to me in round seven because guys like Raheem Mostert, guys with starting jobs were long gone by that point. But Dobbins and Moss, they did not fall to me in round seven. So I just took the best player available on my board, followed my board, and that was Deshaun Jackson. So a little bit of a reach there as well. But at that point, I realized I was just totally employing a strategy called RB anchor strategy where you have one elite running back as your anchor and then you stack every other position, and you don't take another running back until like round eight, which at that point, you start firing away at late round running backs and sleepers and handcuffs who could be valuable if things break right for them. And this is a strategy that I'm familiar with because I've read about it, but I haven't applied it much in practice. And honestly, I was not so comfortable with it. But I just kind of let the draft come to me, and that was... The four receivers in a row with Marquise Brown, Will Fuller, Tyler Boyd, and Deshaun Jackson. And again, we start three flexes, so all these players are starters. And another wide receiver was actually my best player available in round eight, and that was Christian Kirk. So I actually went five wide in a row. All of these players will be starters. And I think Kirk is kind of a post-hype sleeper of sorts. So now, you know, I have four deep threats on my team, like similar, you know, prototype deep threats like Marquise Brown, Will Fuller, Christian Kirk, and Deshaun Jackson. And I mixed in Tyler Boyd in there, a possession receiver for good measure. But I'm expecting a lot of boomer bust weeks coming. I'm also expecting a lot of hamstring pulls, unfortunately. But hopefully not. Hopefully they can stay healthy. And I'll need them to in this type of league. And at that point, it was round nine. And I just kind of had to start taking swings at running backs. I drafted like four or five in a row. I got Jordan Howard in round nine. And I think that's a very unattractive PPR pick. It was the pick that I least wanted to make. It was a pick I was kind of most upset about, but I felt like I had 
to take him even because even though he's on a stinking Miami team, he is the starter at least, and I needed the volume while I kind of wait for hopefully one of these sleeper running backs to hit. So Jordan Howard first, and then I took Jarek McKinnon, and then I took Joshua Kelly, and then A.J. Dillon, and I mixed the Bills defense in there and, and Curtis Samuel in there in the teens. And then I closed it out with tight end Johnny Smith, who's kind of like my go-to sleeper tight end late in drafts, and then Greg Zerline at kicker. And I picked Devonta Freeman in round 17. At the time, he was just visiting the Jaguars, and there was nothing to make of that yet. And I thought that that would be huge if he signed there and he kind of fit that you know, RB anchor strategy. He would actually have been a starter for me if he would have signed in Jacksonville, honestly. But uh, that did not happen. And I ended up finishing up with Drew Locke as my backup quarterback in round 18. He plays the Raiders during Pat Mahomes' bye week. So I thought that that was uh, a decent pick. But we will see if I hold on to Drew Locke or, or Devonta Freeman. It you know it may not be long before I, uh, before I recycle them for uh, free agents or breakout week one players. So pretty interesting roster build. I thought y'all might find that intriguing. It's not a strategy I typically employ. But going quarterback and tight end early, you know, followed by the four wide receivers, that anchor RB strategy. To be honest, I was pretty uncomfortable with it, but I didn't want to force a pick on a player that I didn't like early in the draft. And a lot of experts swear by the RB anchor strategy in PPR formats especially. And I just hate having my RB2 spot basically empty for now. And I also hate that if Derrick Henry goes down or something happens to him, then my season is pretty much over. But I'll have to be patient and hope one of my late-round running backs like McKinnon surprises or hopes that I can find somebody in free agency. So starting lineup in my highest-stake leagues, uh, over $1,000 buy-in, is uh, quarterback Patrick Mahomes, running back Derrick Henry, and Jordan Howard for now uh, in the starting spots. Hollywood Brown, Will Fuller at wide receiver, of course. Deshaun Jackson, Christian Kirk, and Tyler Boyd is, is my three flexes. Again, this is PPR. So I wanted a lean receiver there anyway. Uh, George Kittle at tight end. Bills defense and Greg Zerline at kicker. And my bench is Curtis Samuel, Joshua Kelly, Jarek McKinnon, A.J. Dillon, Johnny Smith the tight end, and Drew Locke the quarterback. Okay, so that is enough about me and my team. Let's get to the main event here. That is bold fantasy football predictions for all AFC, oh, excuse me, all NFC teams. So let's get started. Bold predictions, 2020. First up, the NFC East. And we'll start with Dallas here. Everyone is talking about Michael Gallup. Giddy up. How he's such a great value in round six or seven. Or Amari Cooper, 28th overall. I think the best value of this Cowboys wide receiver core will be C.D. Lamb. And I did not draft C.D. Lamb on a single one of my teams. But my bold prediction is this. Next year, C.D. Lamb will be the first Cowboys wide receiver selected in fantasy drafts per ADP. And part B of my Cowboys bullet prediction is that Dak Prescott, top five quarterback again. And that's not entirely that bold because he's being drafted, I think, at quarterback five. But he will live up to the billing and get a huge contract from Dallas. And part C of this bullet prediction series is that Dallas will not only win their division, but they will be one of the clear top three NFC teams along with the Saints and Seahawks whom will all be competing for the number one seed in the toughest conference in football. So moving on to Philadelphia, Miles Sanders, and this is a negative one here, he will not make it through the season healthy. 
the expert darling, Miles Sanders, so much hype this offseason, one of the most hyped players in all the industry. And if he plays 16 games with the way he catches the ball and based on his lack of backfield competition, he will be a top 10 running back almost for sure. And he'll pan out big time for those who drafted him in the second round. But here's what I know about Miles Sanders. He finished as the RB8 in the final seven games last season after he was the Eagles' primary back following the Jordan Howard injury. But before that, he missed half a game against Buffalo due to a shoulder injury. And then Sanders left week 17 with an ankle injury and an ankle sprain. And then he played through it through the playoffs. And now he's already tweaked his hamstring in training camp. And one thing that makes Sanders so risky to me is the limited sample size that we've seen him being a bell cow back in at the pro level. And it was only seven games last year. And we don't know if he can stay healthy receiving this type of workload. And we don't really know if Doug Peterson, who's always favored running back by committees, if he's going to give him a workhorse workload if Sanders gets nicked up in the beginning of the season. And he's already dealing with a hamstring injury. That's also not good. And the Eagles, they think he can handle the full workload. But this just seems to me like a player where we're going to look back on the season and say, wow, maybe we should have paid more attention to the risk instead of just focusing on the potential rewards. So Sanders, I predict, will get hurt at some point, and the Eagles will bring in another running back like Devonta Freeman or somebody to split the load with Boston Scott. I hope I am wrong. I don't like doing injury predictions, but the writing just seems to be on the wall here. All right, Washington football team, Antonio Gibson and Steven Sims, slot receiver, will catch over or more than 75 passes. Slot wide receiver Steven Sims, undrafted in most leagues. I listed him as a deep sleeper in my guide. He finished last season, final three games, five catches, 45 yards, and a touchdown, six catches, 64 yards, and two touchdowns, and five catches, 81 yards, and one touchdown. Those are the final three games for Steven Sims, and I think that he's going to be a very useful flex option in PPR formats or wide receiver three as he establishes himself as the bona fide wide receiver two after scary Terry McLaurin. And Dwayne Haskins, I think he's going to seek to limit the turnovers. And the team's offensive line stinks. And so he could be looking to that short area target in the slot, Steven Sims. The football team has no really other wide receivers other than McLaurin and Steven Sims. They don't really have a tight end. Logan Thomas is their starting tight end. He's pretty athletic, but we haven't really seen production out of him yet. So yeah, I like Steven Sims to catch over 75 passes this season. I think he'll be a sleeper that pans out. And I also think that Scott Turner and North Turner's offenses have a history of peppering running backs out of the backfield. And this, a lot of the same th- reasons that I like Steven Sims also apply to Antonio Gibson, who was drafted and moved up this depth chart because they want him to be that guy. They want him to catch passes like uh, Christian McCaffrey light. I think that Antonio Gibson does catch 75 passes this year, and I think so does Steven Sims. And this is no knock on Terry McLaurin. I love Terry McLaurin, but these guys, that's my bold prediction, 75 catches for Antonio Gibson and Steven Sims. All right, moving on to the New York football giants. Here it is, Saquon Barkley. Outscores Christian McCaffrey this season. The high ankle sprain limited Barkley's production last season, and the two were neck and neck kind of the season before, and Barkley exploded for 31.63 points per game in the final three games last year, 
after he was fully over that ankle injury. I think it's a sign of things to come. New offensive coordinator Jason Garrett, very conservative. So many years where he's led Ezekiel Elliott to top five finishes. And I think the Giants will make sure to get Barkley the ball knowing that their defense is that bad. And they just have a young quarterback who will want to minimize turnovers. He led the league in fumbles lost last year, uh, Daniel Jones did. And I think Barkley will be the workhorse. And that's not that bold. But I think I just think that a healthy Barkley is going to remind folks that he might be the best running back in the league. And I also wanted to make another bullet prediction involving Sterling Shepard because he's my favorite out of the Giants' three receivers by a decent margin. It's not that bold, but I will state for the record that I think that Sterling Shepard will not only be the best Giants receiver by a decent margin over Golden Tate and over Darius Slayton this season, but I think he will lead the team in receptions and receiving yardage. So Sterling Shepard is the player that you want if you are drafting a Giants wide receiver. All right, moving on to the NFC North, Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers being drafted as quarterback 13 in fantasy right now. Plenty of experts ranking him as quarterback 16, saying he's no longer good for fantasy, run-committed offense. Aaron Rodgers will prove doubters wrong this year. He is motivated by the drafting of Jordan Love. The Packers remain committed to the run, but Rodgers is more aggressive through the air in past years because of his, his anger and because of his and wanting to prove doubters wrong. And I think that the touchdown regression works in his favor. The Packers score fewer times on the ground than they did last season. And Aaron Rodgers is the beneficiary there. I think the Packers supporting cast will also be healthier and better than it was last season. And Rodgers, I predict he'll throw for 4,200 yards, which isn't that much, but 32 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. That's my bold statistical forecast for Aaron Rodgers. Top eight quarterback finish for Aaron Rodgers this year. And my honorable mention, A.J. Dillon is useless in fantasy football until until some injury to either Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams springs him into action or he just overtakes Jamal Williams' job. And A.J. Dillon kind of finishes as this year's Miles Sanders where he's not so much of a factor in the first half of the season, but he is a top 10 running back down the stretch, maybe for like the final six games. And A.J. Dillon, I'm going to piggyback off this prediction here and go even further. A.J. Dillon in tandem with Aaron Jones next season. Dillon supports a round seven ADP or higher in next year's fantasy drafts. And the last prediction for the Green Bay Packers here is Devontae Adams. 100 catches, 1,400 yards, 14 touchdowns. He leads the NFL in receiving touchdowns this season. And he overtakes Michael Thomas as wide receiver one. That is my last bullet prediction for the Green Bay Packers. So moving on to Minnesota. Adam Thielen leads the NFL in receptions this year with 120 catches. Gary Kubiak-led offenses have featured number one wide receivers since the days of Andre Johnson in Houston. Minnesota is set up to throw more this season with some losses on their defense. And I think it is reasonable to expect regression from their outstanding running game from last season. And the team drafted Justin Jefferson in round one, but the COVID-shortened offseason has made him slower to develop. And the Vikings' outside receivers, at least initially, opposite of Thielen, may be B.C. Johnson and Tajay Sharp. I'm not kidding. The Vikings may trot out B.C. Johnson and Tajay Sharp as their outside receivers opposite of Adam Thielen. Yuck, that is disgusting. So Adam Thielen, NFL's catch leader, in 2020. Also, I also want to make a prediction. This is kind of a negative one. Alexander Madison sees at least four starts for Dalvin Cook at some point in the season and produces well. I'm not doubling down 
on Dalvin Cook staying healthy uh, two seasons in a row. So moving on to Detroit, the Lions, TJ Hawkinson, double-digit touchdowns, 10 scores for TJ Hawkinson. He's got the second-year breakout, and he sucks the value out of Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. See, I'm starving like Marvin, girl. The reason I think this is because I believe in TJ Hawkinson's talent. He was a top 10 pick. I also believe that he played through a, bu- a number of injuries last season. And I also believe that he did drop two or three touchdowns last season. And rookie tight ends tend to always struggle in year one. I think that TJ Hawkinson is ripe for the breakout in his second season. So I am, my bold prediction here is that he scores 10 touchdowns and he leads. Well, I don't want to say he leads the tight end position, but maybe he will. Maybe he will. To be determined. But 10 touchdowns for TJ Hawkinson this season. All right, next one, Chicago. My semi-bold prediction here is that Matt Nagy does not make it through the season. And he gets fired during the year. But my main bold prediction for fantasy purposes is that Allen Robinson, wide receiver seven last season, and being drafted as a clear-cut top 10 wide receiver this year, he falls outside of the top 20 wide receivers this season. And this is perhaps my boldest opinion of today's show. This causes Anthony Miller to outscore Allen Robinson this season in fantasy points. You know something? No soup for you! Come back one year! We saw a glimmer of hope of this down the stretch last season, weeks 11 through 16, when Anthony Miller averaged 14.66 points per game and was playing at wide receiver 21 pace. It's not that great, but I believe in Anthony Miller's talent. I think he's underrated, and he also plays in the slot. And Nick Foles, who I assume will eventually take over for Mitch Trubisky, has extensively targeted slot receivers like Miller throughout his entire career. And Miller will be healthier, and and Allen Robinson will not. Allen Robinson never really even appeared on the injury report last season. More things went right for him than a lot of people realize, despite his poor quarterback play. So my prediction here is that the quarterback play does catch up to both receivers, but Anthony Miller outscores Allen Robinson this season in fantasy points. And don't worry, I think that's my craziest one. Uh, I want to give an honorable mention. David Montgomery, my boy, I think he finds his footing. And maybe after a slow start, he finishes as a top 20 running back in points per game down the stretch. That's my bold prediction about Montgomery. And I think drafters will actually be very happy with the injury discount they got in David Montgomery. But let's move on to the New Orleans Saints, the NFC South. Here's another crazy one. I don't want to say it's crazy, but it's very rare that this happens. Alvin Kamara signs his contract. That's not the bold prediction. But Alvin Kamara, 1,000 rushing yards, 1,000 receiving yards. And you may be thinking to yourself right now, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I could see that. It seems like a lot. But, yeah, if, if any running back would do it, it's Kamara. But keep in mind, Kamara has never rushed for 1,000 yards before. He's also never had 1,000 yards receiving. But this year, I think he hits both, and he'll be the fourth ever running back to do that. Last year, Christian McCaffrey became the third. Danian Tomlinson also among that number. But Drew Brees, great quarterback, so the most accurate quarterback in the world in the short to intermediate range, which is where Alvin Kamara is obviously running his routes. And I think that Drew Brees will lean on Kamara with, with waning arm strength down the stretch. And I think that the Saints have one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. Positive game scripts, winning team. Kamara dealt with a laundry list of injuries last season. 
But this year, I think he touches the ball more than he ever has in his career. 1,000 rushing yards for Alvin Kamara, 1,000 receiving yards for Alvin Kamara, and he enters the 1,000-1,000 club. Moving on to Tampa Bay. Here's my prediction about Tampa Bay. Or I don't want to say actually here's my prediction, but here's my bold prediction. Because I don't necessarily believe it, but I just could see it happening, right? Like that's what these bold predictions are about. These are not something that I fully believe like with 100% confidence. They're supposed to be outlandish as I discussed in the last episode. But here it is for Tampa Bay. The Buccaneers fantasy options all bust relative to ADP. Every single one. Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Tom Brady, Rojo, Gronk. Be careful, it's a trap. Tampa Bay does make the playoffs, but it's primarily because of their improved defense. And then they make the play. They only sneak into the playoffs too as the seventh seed. So that is my bold prediction about Tampa Bay Buccaneers fantasy players. I think that they disappoint for a variety of reasons, which I've gotten into in my other episodes. Atlanta Falcons. Matt Ryan leads the NFL in passing yardage. He becomes, I think it would be the ninth player ever to throw for 5,000 yards in a season. And let's get some ripple effects down here. What happens when a quarterback throws for 5,000 yards? Well, his receivers flourish. Julio Jones Julio, get the stretch. has scored double-digit touchdowns only once in his entire career. That was eight years ago in 2012, his rookie, sorry, his second season. Julio Jones reaches double-digit scores in 2020, and both he and Calvin Ridley finish as top 12 receivers. So Matt Ryan, with his 5,000-yard season, supports two top 12 receivers, a rarity in fantasy football, but he does it. The Falcons just are ripe for shootouts. They don't have a defense. I don't think they're going to have much of a running game. I think that the target share is going to be similar to Seattle, where it's just two guys at the top, where you have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley, just kind of like DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. The pieces of the pie to the other players, you know, Russell Gage is their third receiver. Hayden Hurst, you know, could replace Austin Hooper pretty well, but I don't think he's going to get that workload because he's new to the team. So I think that Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones will be the primary targets for this offense. They play 11 of 16 of their games in domes, and they have a stable quarterback in Matt Ryan who just rarely ever misses games and who's just always throwing for chunk yardage. I think the Falcons will also be one of the most pass-happy teams even when they aren't trailing but they certainly will when they are trailing. So yeah, I like Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. Bold prediction. They both finished as top 12 wide receivers. Julio Jones, 10 touchdowns, and Matt Ryan leads the NFL in passing yards, becomes the ninth player ever to throw for over 5,000. And if you didn't catch the hint of where I was going with this, I can also piggyback on this and say that Todd Gurley... My bold prediction is that this will be Todd Gurley's last season in the NFL. Like next year, he will be kind of like what Devonta Freeman is right now, where he just kind of can't find a team that really wants him. So that is my prediction about Todd Gurley. So yeah, a lot of hot takes about the Atlanta Falcons and Tampa Bay Bucks here. Next is the Carolina Panthers. This is also hurting my soul here, this one, because I don't like doing the negative ones, the ones that are like, oh, this guy won't finish here. He will be a bust. But here it is for Carolina. DJ Moore was a top four wide receiver in his final seven games last season with Kyle Allen at quarterback. And now he gets a quarterback upgrade in Teddy Bridgewater. And he also gets an upgrade with a pass-happy head coach, Matt Rule, and a creative pass-oriented play caller in Joe Brady. And their defense may be the worst in the NFL, Carolina's will. 
and it sounds like I'm making the case for DJ Moore being a top five receiver, but no, I'm not. I'm going the other way with this. DJ Moore, wide receiver nine, consensus ADP. He finishes outside the top 16 wide receivers. I love DJ Moore's game, but there's too many changes here. The Panthers have a lot of mouths to feed. Curtis Samuel may play that valuable slot role in Joe Brady's offense. We don't really know. Robert, Robbie Anderson has familiarity with Matt Rule. He was brought over by Rule. Chris McCaffrey is going to command at least 100 targets out of the backfield. Ian Thomas is there at tight end. I just don't know if Teddy Bridgewater, who's kind of conservative by nature and who has not shown a history of supporting fantasy football wide receivers, I, can, I don't know if he can support all these guys, even in favorable game flow situations. And I like Teddy Bridgewater as a sleeper because of all the reasons I described. And I think he's a very accurate quarterback in the short to intermediate range. And I think that Joe Brady is an outstanding play caller. And their defense will definitely help Teddy Bridgewater be more aggressive or at least accumulate more statistics. Game flow will be massively in favor of Bridgewater. But part of me thinks that Bridgewater will be a little too conservative nevertheless. And DJ Moore, not really a touchdown scorer either. Maybe his short area explosiveness and yards after catchability will thrive with Teddy Bridgewater. But it could also be the case with Curtis Samuel too. So I'm just not willing to bet on it, especially at wide receiver nine. So I'm going to go ahead and go the other way with this. DJ Moore finishes outside the top 16 wide receivers. Bold prediction for the Carolina Panthers. All right, moving on to the last division. And this is the NFC West. And we'll start with Seattle, who I think is going to win this division over the San Francisco 49ers. Tyler Lockett is being drafted at wide receiver 19. And last season, Tyler Lockett in his first 10 games averaged 17.68 points per game. That was wide receiver 8 pace. And again, he's being drafted at receiver 19. And in his first 10 games, that was before he was hospitalized after a game with a lower leg injury. And nobody talks about the injury because the Seahawks had their bye week after and he didn't miss any time. But Lockett was not the same for a stretch of three games where he scored a total of 13 fantasy points in those three games following the hospitalization. And the hospitalization, by the way, very serious injury, right? Like the team traveled home from San Francisco without Lockett. Like he had to meet up with the team later in the week because he literally had to go to the hospital for this injury. But yet he played out the Seahawks by, we didn't miss a game. But in those three games after that, nine targets total, five catches total, 81 yards total. So he was clearly playing hurt. And without that cold stress, I think we would be talking about Lockett finishing as a top 10 wide receiver and his ADP would be much higher. Because he shines every year in reception perception, according to Matt Harmon's receiver metric, that charts wide receivers getting open. And he's got a nice floor because he's such a it's such a huge piece of the pie in the target share, like I mentioned earlier for Atlanta, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. It's the same with thing with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. And speaking of DK Metcalf. It's on like Donkey Kong indeed. Because I am doubling down on the Seattle wide receivers outperforming their ADPs. So here's my bold prediction for Seattle. Not only will Tyler Lockett finish 10 spots higher than his ADP of wide receiver 19. So wide receiver 9 or better for Tyler Lockett. But DK Metcalf will also finish 10 spots higher than his wide receiver ADP of wide receiver 26. So that's wide receiver 16 or better for Metcalf. So both Seattle wide receivers finishing 10 spots or more ahead of their positional ADPs. Write it up. All right, San Francisco 49ers. George Kittle, two years ago, recorded the most receiving yards ever in a single season for a tight end with 1,377 yards. And I wanted to say that he's going to break his own record. 
but I'm not going to say that. We know Kittle can put up the yards, but I don't think he's going to quite get to 1,300. But the issue with Kittle hasn't been putting up the yardage. The issue has been that Kittle hasn't been able to find the end zone. His touchdowns have been down his entire career. Kittle's career high in touchdowns is five. This year, not only does George Kittle see positive touchdown regression, he doubles his career high. Ten touchdowns for George Kittle. Actually, let's, let's, make it, let's make it 11. It goes to 11. Let's turn it to 11. 11 touchdowns for George Kittle. And last season, Kittle played through several injuries. He missed two games. He also led the entire league, nevertheless, in touchdowns called back by penalty. Kittle had three touchdowns negated by flags last year. Hey, Einstein, I'm on your side. And the 49ers enter the season with unhealthy wide receivers. Both Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are battling injuries. And this is a team that will have to throw more than they did in 2019 when they were just blowing out every opponent they faced pretty much. We should see regression from both the elite defense and the running game this season. So I think that George Kittle, touchdown curse is ended. He finds the end zone 11 times in 2020. Monster season for George Kittle coming. I'm also going to have a part B of this. And my confidence level isn't too high in this. But I could just see this happening because every expert wants us to discount Raheem Mostert. And including me, I think I have Raheem Mostert lower than ADP in my, in my draft board and in my rankings. But I just want to say this. I believe in Raheem Mostert's talent. And even though I'm a little weary of Jarek McKinnon stealing passing down work, I'm going to go ahead and say this. Raheem Mostert, 1,000 yards this season. I don't think he's near as valuable as he finished last year when in the final eight games Raheem Mostert was like a top five running back for fantasy football. But I think that he is the 49ers lead back on the ground. And I think he mainly works in tandem with Jarek McKinnon this season. And I'll go ahead and say that Raheem Mostert, 1,000 yards on the ground, ends up being a useful pick. I do wish I had at least one Mostert share on one of my teams, but I do not. All right, Los Angeles Rams. This is a big one. It feels like ages ago when Jared Goff finished as fantasy quarterbacks seven in 2018 and Goff declined to quarterback 13 and only quarterback 20 in adjusted points per game last season. And that was primarily based on two factors. First, the downgraded offensive line play, which was largely based on industries to the unit. The Rams starting five offensive linemen only made 53 of 80 possible starts, one of the lowest rates in the NFL. And this caused Goff to fold under pressure like he does because he can't stand pressure. And second, Jared Goff's touchdown rate dropped dramatically from 5.7% to 3.5% per Nick Minzio of Roto World. Todd Gurley was also a double jeopardy problem for Jared Goff last season because not only did he somehow manage to score a whopping 14 touchdowns, all of which were in the red zone, and this was one of the main reasons Goff's touchdown rate was so low, but he also was a disaster in the passing game. As time and time again, when Goff needed that safety outlet more than ever, Gurley was just kind of running laps in the passing game, running routes but never getting targeted, just exercising out there. And still, Jared Goff's volume and yardage were there. Goff led the league in pass attempts with 626 passing attempts and threw for over 4,600 yards. And the pace was also there. According to Hayden Winks of Roto World, the Rams played the fastest pace and the highest pass rate, 84%, in the NFL while in negative game scripts last season. Good job. Keep up the pace. And this is a net positive because if the Rams are good and have a potent offense, 
then that's great for Jared Goff. That means he's scoring points. But if the Rams struggle again, then their fast-paced, pass-happy philosophy will allow them to rack up production in garbage time. And Goff finished strongly with 20.78 points per game in the final five games, although two of those games were against Arizona's barely their defense. He threw for over 300 yards a game in that final five games and had an 11-4 to touchdown turnover ratio. And that was when Sean McVay creatively adjusted his offense to more 12 personnel featuring two tight ends after Brandon Cook's second or third concussion scare last year. And this year, Jared Goff quietly surrounded with great pass-catching supporting cast. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Josh Reynolds, Van Jefferson, who the Rams drafted in round two and is supposedly lighting it up in camp. They have them at wide receiver, Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett at tight end. And two running backs to replace Todd Gurley. Daryl Henderson, pass catcher, will be healthier this year. And Cam Akers, another second-round pick from the Rams. Both of them are receiving threats out of the backfield. And moreover, the presence of their terrible defense. Other than Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, they really have just nothing on defense. And they will be playing indoors this season as well, as opposed to outdoors in seasons past. And in summary... All this is to say, Jared Goff, not a great NFL quarterback, but I think he's in a fantastic situation. He finished strongly, has a creative offensive coach in Sean McVay, great supporting cast of pass-catching weapons, weak defense, guaranteed pass volume, positive pace, presumably healthier offensive line, positive regression coming in the touchdown rate department. As a result of all of this, Jared Goff, ADP quarterback, 19 off the board, is a top 10 fantasy quarterback this season. In last season, he had 22 touchdowns. That jumps up to 30. Jared Goff, 30 touchdowns. His yards stay the same, about 4,600. And the trickle-down effect here, Robert Woods. Top 12 receiver in PPR formats, 100 catches. Robert Woods played at wide receiver pace, uh, sorry, wide receiver three pace in the final seven games last season. He finished really strongly. And I've mentioned several reasons why I like the Rams passing game. And I think it's undervalued now. And Woods is going to be one beneficiary of that. He is being drafted at wide receiver 18 or 19 in in average draft position. And I'm predicting a top 12 season for Robert Woods. And you know who else is going to benefit from this negative game flow and fast pace and pass happy approach? Tyler Higbee. Tyler Higby, bold prediction, proves not to be a fluke. And every expert wants to discount his historic finish where he had four straight 100-yard games in five straight games with at least seven catches and 84 yards to close out last season. It was the most dominant five-game stretch for a tight end in NFL history. The experts will tell you, however, that Higby had only reached 50 yards twice in 58 career games before that amazing stretch. They'll tell you that the sample size of his his good play is too small, and they'll tell you that they only featured Tyler Higby because a fellow tight end Gerald Everett got hurt, or they'll tell you that they only featured Tyler Higby because Brandon Cooks was not at 100% either, and they'll also tell you that Jared Everett is actually better than Tyler Higby, some of them will, and they'll tell you that the Rams are predominantly going back to three wide receiver sets, and they'll also just tell you that it was his great stretch was against easy defenses. They'll, they'll tell you that it was a total fluke, and you're a sucker if you think that he's going to remain valuable in fantasy football. All the experts seem to be fading Tyler Higby. Guess what? I don't care. The fact is that no tight end has ever done what Higby did in the final five games of 2019. Not Tony Gonzalez, not Antonio Gates, not Rob Gronkowski. No one. And don't hear what I'm not saying. Tyler Higby is not a Hall of Fame talent by any stretch of the imagination, but the dude can play. 
I'm not dismissing a stretch that dominant as a fluke. I'm just not going to do it. Also, this wasn't like one or two games. This was five games in a row. I'm not going to make excuses for it. Tyler Higby, not a household name, so he falls to like round nine of drafts. The experts are all fading him. Not only do I think that there's a very affordable cost for the boomer bust tight end, and not only do I think Tyler Higby drafters will be very pleased, but I'm predicting a top six season for Tyler Higby on the back of eight touchdowns. Tyler Higby, bowl prediction, he is here to stay. And my final bowl prediction of the episode, Arizona Cardinals. Here it is. This is a big one. Chase Edmonds outscores Kenyon Drake this season in fantasy points. Boy, I'm really starting to dislike the Drake. Hate the Drake. (laughs) Kenyon Drake flourished in this new offense after a midseason trade last year. He finishes RB4 pace in the final eight games of Arizona. All of this is making him go in round two of drafts. And I like taking... Kenyon uh, Kenyon Drake as well. I believe he's a really good football player and a great system for running backs. But before this, Kenyon Drake was rarely ever used as a bell cow bat. He does carry some risk. And it's not because he isn't good. He's always been very efficient. But coaches have always used him in tandem, arguably because they just don't think he can hold up as a workhorse. And they may be right. Drake stayed healthy in the eight games last season that he was a workhorse, but he is relatively unproven in that role, just like Miles Sanders. So he gets hurt. In 2020, according to me, and that is ominous, but that's just a bold prediction. I think the the prediction really is that the Cardinals throw in Chase Edmonds, who is not as good as Kenyon Drake, but he's a plus receiver and has shown talent and production and limited opportunities. And I think this backfield is going to be very valuable. And basically, I basically begged Kenyon Drake drafters who took him based on my draft guide in round two to pick up the insurance policy in Chase Edmonds late in drafts. Like I begged you to do that all offseason and in my draft guide. Hopefully you did that because my bold prediction this year for the Cardinals, you will need to file an insurance claim at some point on Kenyon Drake and Chase Edmonds will come in and save the day. All right, that is it for my bold predictions. Let me quickly make a Super Bowl prediction before I explain what is next. Super Bowl prediction, the Ravens take down the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. Yeah, I know, pretty chalky, although I'm not predicting the Chiefs to go back. But Ravens take down the Chiefs in the AFC Championship. And the Saints defeat the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC Championship. It may be the Dallas Cowboys. I really can't decide on that one. But either way, the Saints win the NFC. So it's Ravens versus Saints in the Super Bowl in Tampa. And I'm taking Drew Brees. Shocker. Final hurrah. Call me a homer. I don't care. The Saints are stacked on paper, and I think they have the three requirements to win a Super Bowl. A good quarterback, they can pressure opposing quarterbacks, and they can protect their own quarterback. Those are the three elements, the three criteria to win a Super Bowl, in my opinion, today's NFL. They also have a head coach with and a quarterback with Super Bowl experience. And they have the continuity on this roster. So many starters returning, which is more crucial than ever in a shortened offseason where turnover is going to really hurt some of these teams because they weren't able to gel during the offseason. No minicamps, no OTAs, no preseason, barely a training camp. So this continuity will be, this chemistry will be great for the Saints. And they have also made the postseason for the last three years in a row and end up in heartbreak each time. This Drew Brees' final season Gets his revenge. He walks out a winner, just like Peyton Manning did. Who dat? 
All right, so going forward, it's time for week one. I will be posting a week one matchups podcast. I'm going to be going through all the games and writing up some notes tomorrow, and I'll be recording and and publishing this early Saturday morning. I know a lot of people will want that for Friday because a lot of my listeners probably listen to this podcast on their commute from work or, or they're at the gym on Friday or whatever it is, and they're usually busy doing other things during the weekends. But we have to keep in mind that a lot of players, we find out about their availability and the injuries based on whether they practice Friday. Like right now, Kenny Galladay did not practice Thursday. Mike Evans, these are some big names. David Montgomery, we need to figure out if these guys are practicing Friday because if they do Friday, they're more likely to play and that affects so many other things. So at least for this week, the matchups pod will be posted on Saturday and I will have my thoughts on tonight's game in there as well. Hopefully I'll be breaking down how great uh, Will Fuller and David Johnson looked. Fingers crossed there. But send me your lineup questions ASAP, your week one starts and sits, I will try to answer them on the matchup pod as I go through these games. Week one is going to be wild this year. It's wild every year, but especially unpredictable this season because of the lack of preseason. So we're just kind of going off last year's information and very minimal training camp reports compared to normal years because of the rules about COVID. So expect the unexpected that is all i will say but i will do my best to work through that lack of clarity with you guys so stay tuned for my week one matchup pod starts sits all that kind of stuff on saturday all right that'll conclude today's episode if you enjoy listening to this podcast please 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 hit the subscribe button give me a favorable review or rating And be sure to send me your lineup questions so I can answer them on the next show. I really appreciate your continued support. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya.